Hello, I'm Elizabeth Dore, and this is Cramming for the Apocalypse, a podcast about dealing with climate grief and climate anxiety through the lens of disaster preparedness. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Cramming for the Apocalypse. I'm here with Leah Carlson, who I met with the Wilderness Awareness School. I participated in a wild women's retreat last year, and Leah was there as a participant staff member, and we really hit it off. And, you know, I I observed from meeting Leah and also like seeing how she engaged with the world that she was really into mushrooms. So I've invited Leah to talk today, not necessarily about Wilderness Awareness School, but I'm sure we will talk about it. Um, but really to talk about mushrooms and why they're so cool and why she's so into them. So Leah, can we just start maybe by having you introduce yourself, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey and and kind of where you are now? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So I I grew up in Minnesota and I don't think I was particularly into nature growing up, but uh, through my journey about 12 years ago or so, I suddenly got really into foraging. Foraging for medicinal plants, I'd say, was kind of my gateway. It wasn't like most people where it's like chanterelles or morels, but um, specifically medicinal plants I got into. I had a friend who was an herbalist down in LA, and she started asking me to send her things that could only be found in the Pacific Northwest. It actually started just with Douglas fir needles and I, I packaged them up and sent them to her and then I was like what are you gonna do with this you know she explained how they're really high in vitamin c and they add a lot of really good flavor to things and and after that I was just kind of hooked mm-hmm. and it was the dead of winter which is a terrible time to be hooked on foraging so I buried it in books and just started really digging in and by that spring and summer I had a lot of little jars all over my kitchen filled with twigs and berries and flowers. And I'd say maybe about a year later, mushrooms started to come into play, medicinal mushroom. So I think it was about eight years later that I saw the job posting for Wilderness Awareness School. I had just been a forager for fun and I teach a couple classes on medicine making. But when I saw the job posting for Wilderness Awareness School that brought in my history as a marketer, And just to rewind, I'm the marketing director at Wilderness Awareness School. And I saw they were looking for this marketing director. I had all of that experience, but it also was all about a connection to nature and wild and medicinal plants was a big part of that. And so it looked like a perfect fit. It has been a perfect fit. And I have been in my dream job for four and a half years now out in Washington, where I live with my husband and two little daughters in a log cabin in the woods. Yeah. Near Duval, right? Is that the... I am north of Duval. I'm in between Monroe and Sultan. Okay. Can you describe Mm -hmm. that area for me just like to kind of paint a picture for the listeners? Yeah, we're about an hour northeast of Seattle, right? Kind of towards the foothills of the Cascade Mountains. If folks are driving from Seattle into any of the ski resorts or like Leavenworth, you would go right by our little town. We're not going to talk about Wilderness Awareness School specifically through this, but I think it would be good to kind of root ourselves in what the school is and what you all do Mm -hmm. and the values. And kind of, I think, you know, that can tell folks a little bit about also how I met you (laughs) through one of those retreats. So yeah, can you tell us a little bit about it? 
Yes. And I can talk about it all day. I love wilderness awareness school. So I will try to keep it short. So the mission is to help children and adults cultivate a connection with nature, community, and self. So we do run summer camps and we run school year programs for kids all about connecting to nature and personal development is kind of woven through there. And on the adult side of things, which your listeners could be more interested in, we have weekend programs and then we have a nine month intensive program as well that teaches everything that we cover at the school. So this can be things like what we call the hard skills. And I think that I've heard you use that term before too. So the hard skills would be survival skills, wild medicinal edible plants, bird language, animal tracking. And then we, and then we have a lot of mentorship, community leadership, and self-discovery that really comes into play. And you watch people enter these programs and just emerge a completely different person. I am at this school because I'm so passionate about people living in the three-dimensional world again. And I say this as you and I are on Zoom, right? <laughs> but, um, but this world, I just, I can't believe that smartphones came into our lives 12 years ago. And I just look at how that has so drastically shifted the human experience mm-hmm. and the way that we communicate and how young people today aren't able to have tough conversations without using an emoji. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eye contact and reading facial expressions, a body language, all of that is, those are skills that are getting lost in the same way that cursive handwriting was lost 10 years ago, right? Yeah. It's just, it was a really important skills of being human that are being lost every day um, because we communicate so much in in the two-dimensional world and socialize in the two-dimensional world. And so I look at my job as a marketing director at Wilderness Awareness School as I get to be the person that might send out an advertisement on Instagram, but I'm getting somebody looking at a device and I'm, I'm pulling somebody from the two-dimensional world and getting them to that bridge. Yeah. 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 And I hope that, you know, and then I, my job is to bring them into wilderness awareness school and our instructors are so good and so skilled at getting people completely hooked on nature yeah. and a new way of living that once I can kind of kick it over to them, I know that we are changing lives. We're getting people really to experience life in a way that all of our ancestors before us did. And that we're really meant to live, you know, using our senses and being resourceful and creative. And I know resourceful is such a thread mm-hmm. that you're talking about, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and kind of going back to those soft and hard skills, and I'll kind of loop it back around to mushrooms, too. But I, you know, one thing that I found that I really got out of the retreat was how, yes, they're like soft and hard skills, but how much of the soft components that of our way of being come into the hard skills so i you know thinking about the fire making or fire bringing skills like it is you know it's a lesson in patience and observation and knowing what to look for and wait for and all of those you know that come out to like it can be a hard skill skill of knowing how to make fire from just the materials that are around you but it it really is that act of paying attention that that makes you good at it. And I think that this relates to mushrooms. And then I, I think as well, because that's something that I saw you doing when we were on the retreat is looking, really noticing things that my vision just passed over. You know, I'm not looking 
closely at the ground. And so maybe let's use that as my segue to ask about what do you love so much about mushrooms? I mean, I'm I'm like a mushroom generalist, Mm -hmm. I would say. So I love I mean, I love edible mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Everybody does. That's the easy one, right? That's super easy. And I don't even need to go down that path because that is what that's what people know. Yeah. Yeah. I also really love medicinal mushrooms. And a lot of people don't understand how good mushrooms are for you. Yeah. Not necessarily the one at the grocery store and not raw mushrooms, but mushroom medicine is one of the best things for your immune system. It's, it's, you know, there's a lot of really good studies out there about what medicinal mushrooms can do to prevent and help with cancer. Mm -hmm. And then there's the cognitive abilities of medicinal mushrooms as well. On top of those, which is kind of like the tip of the iceberg, I love dyeing fiber with mushrooms. Yeah, I've seen you do that and it's so cool. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's an experiment. If I went in and I knew that I wanted a certain shade of brown or a certain shade of orange, it wouldn't be as fun. But there's a lot of mushrooms that are really great for dyeing fiber. I love doing that. Mm-hmm. Mushrooms, I, I, you can use them for ink too. There are some that you know you can kind of do beautiful watercolors with. Some people are using mushroom for fiber, like to actually make materials. There's some really good studies about how mushrooms are helping the environment. And then there are some that are just really weird, and some that are actually all of them. They're so important in our ecosystem, and I think that what I have really come to love the most about mushrooms comes from the lens of a naturalist mm-hmm. and how mushrooms come into play with the wildlife, with the plant, getting the trees to communicate with each other, how it helps soil health. I mean, from an ecological standpoint, mushrooms are just the shit, you know, like they're just the best and they're so cool. I think that that is where I've really kind of settled into my own niche with mushrooms is that I don't need them to do anything for me. I don't need to take any home and eat them or make medicine with them or or dye yarn. Just them existing on their own and the vital role that they play in a healthy ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And how much just amusement they give me. I mean, really, I don't I don't necessarily believe that mushrooms are here for us. You know, I think yeah. that I just love appreciating them in general. Yeah, I and that's been something I've been thinking about a lot because I think that that's actually what stuck out to me so much about your interest and just general, you know, when people do go down this road of being interested in something very specific in nature, that it maybe starts out as something that benefits us and mm-hmm. as, as humans in a way, but then it really goes down that general appreciation of of why or that they exist and how they serve ecosystems and how they just and and even just how cool they are and Mm -hmm. so I don't know maybe we could go into that a little bit more because I I am curious about that mindset I think that it's applies to mushrooms it applies to a lot of different things what would I guess get us to kind of think more holistically about the resources and the natural environment around us and how do you think about it in those terms in terms of just viewing the natural world Well, when I came to Wilderness Awareness School, I knew plants and a little bit of mushrooms. And that was really it. I didn't know how much else was out there that pieced together the puzzle Mm -hmm. of basically seeing the world as a naturalist. When COVID hit and I had to set up a home office, I put a bird seeder out. And we teach a lot of classes about what we call bird language. 
and I started paying attention to the birds. And soon enough, I learned about the birds in my area. And I started, especially after a snowfall, like we've had this last week, paying attention to the tracks that animals are leaving on the landscape. Hmm. And I started a phenology journal of writing down what's happening throughout the seasons every year and really noticing when certain plants are emerging, when certain weather's hitting, when the migrating birds are coming through, those sort of things. And after doing that for several years, it's so interesting how it creates a bigger picture and how my awareness of the natural world really is a puzzle. It's just really comprised of all of these different components. And mushrooms is the one that I have the most fondness for. It actually Mm -hmm. makes me a terrible birder because when I'm out in the woods, I'm looking down the whole time. (laughs) But yeah, all of these different components are just, they really play together to, to, to create a story, a story that like most people walk by every day and not, and don't notice, you know, and I think, you know, my dream is that people can sit at the bus stop and actually notice what the birds are doing rather than looking mm-hmm. at their phone. I'm curious mm-hmm. about, like you said, most people know about the edible mushrooms, but what about the, or culinary mushrooms, I guess, in this sense, but like, Tell me a little bit more about medicinal mushrooms. What I mean, are there, can you give me an example of of what that is and how you use them and what do you do with them to make them medicinal? And and mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe just one example that can kind of show, you know, show folks, illustrate for folks what that looks like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, some of them are ones that you would get at the grocery store. Like shiitake is a great example. When you are buying expensive shiitake mushrooms at Whole Foods and you're cooking them up, they're actually so much better for you, Mm. for your immune system containing a lot of amino acids and B vitamins compared to the, you know, white button mushroom. Mm -hmm. So some of them are ones that we eat anyways. Lion's mane is another great example of that. You might see tinctures or people talking about lion's mane as a supplement for cognitive function, but it's also delicious. So yeah, I can't even imagine doing anything other than eating it. Other than eating it, sometimes you have a hard choice to make, right? (laughs) (laughs) Foraging and some of them make beautiful yarn too, or I've heard some of the, some of them and and I just decide to eat them. Yarn, right. Yeah, or sometimes you find a mushroom that is not in great shape to eat, but you can still make medicine with it. But anyways, circling back to your question, yeah, yeah, a lot of the really good medicinal mushrooms are kind of what I would call woody mushrooms. They usually grow on the side of of dead wood, Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are really dense and not at all found to be delicious. These would be turkey tails or reishi mushrooms. There's a lot in that family of reishis that we can call woodcocks, for instance, and they're hard to even pry off a tree. They are thick and dense and they're perennial. They grow a little bit every year until some of the big ones look like a big dinner plate sitting on the side of a tree that is either dead or actively dying. And I would say turkey tails are a great one that can be found all all around North America. You see them, again, growing on Deadwood. They're like little semicircles and look like a turkey's tail opening. They have alternating kind of rings of kind of a muted color. They can come in all different colors, though. And every other ring is kind of fuzzy if you look at it up close. The underside is going to be white with teeny tiny little pores, which is how the spores, the spores come out of the pores on those. It doesn't have any really dangerous lookalikes. It has some lookalikes that won't be helpful to you, right? You know, but but turkey tails is a really great one to to get folks familiar with, and it's one of the first mushrooms that I started working with. Cool. 
What is it? How do you use it? So my favorite way to use turkey mm-hmm. tails is to put it in a bone broth when I'm making bone oh, broth. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It probably adds a little bit of umami to the to the broth as well. Yeah. I have heard from a great mycologist in my area, Daniel Winkler, that he will make a broth of just turkey tail Ooh, and freeze it in ice cubes. Oh, freeze it in ice cube trays, I should say, and just add that to things because it actually does have a good flavor. And after hearing that, I need to do this. I've never had it. By itself, I've always added it to immunity tea, mm-hmm. you know, so just in water or I have added it to bone broth or taken it in tincture form. Turkey tail, you can find all kinds of supplements out there. And actually in Japan, if you were to be diagnosed with breast cancer, turkey tail is the first thing that they'll give you. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's, fascinating. it's fascinating. You can definitely go down a rabbit hole. I can't speak to it too much myself, but I urge people to look to look up turkey tail and cancer and you'll find all kinds of inspiring things. That's really cool. So one of the things I also think is important when we're talking about, you know, going out into nature and foraging or gathering things is kind of that responsibility that we have to, you know, not take it all or to Mm -hmm. think about that space and how you're planning on using the things that we gather. So I'm curious about what your mindset is when you're out in nature, when you find mushrooms that you want to use for medicine or even to eat, like what's the approach that you take? I love this question because I feel like there's a really common misconception here. So unlike digging up roots or carrots in the garden, for instance, Mm -hmm. you dig up that carrot and it is gone. It is done. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, If you pick an apple off of an apple tree, that is not the case. You're simply harvesting the fruit. And that's exactly what harvesting mushrooms is. The mycelium is really the cell system of the mushroom. It's the roots. You can look at it as a root. Mm -hmm. And it sprouts a fruiting body, which is the mushroom as we know it. Mm -hmm. And so going out and harvesting mushrooms is not at all damaging that mycelium. It's not good to take like a garden shovel and dig up your mushrooms that way. You don't want to disrupt the mycelium too much. You want to be kind of gentle with your feet in an area where you see mushrooms that you appreciate. But actually just harvesting that mushroom is not doing anything at all to damage that mycelium. And I love that about mushrooms. Because if you see five chanterelles, you can take five chanterelles. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, really. Well, and they, yeah, they grow back in the same places every year too. So you kind of know where to go if you want. They can. Yeah. They can. They don't always. And it can really depend on weather. And I love it because we are so fortunate to live in a 100-year-old forest here at my home. And we have some beautiful trail systems back there. And I have watched over the years where mushrooms have indeed come up in the same place and where they've come up for the first time when we've had some strange weather. Oh, interesting. It is so interesting. It is really interesting. I mean, we had some really early rains and this last fall was one of the best years for mushrooms. And and after it was four, three years, I suppose, three years of having um, a fall mushroom season here in this property. Yeah, for the first time, I was seeing things that I know weren't there before. Because of a certain weather pattern, it now has fruited mushroom bodies. You know, the mycelium has now fruited. You know this because you've observed the land. I've been paying attention and looking at the ground so much. (laughs) I I have been meaning to ask you about this, too, because I thought it was so cool. You shared on Instagram this two dimensional device, a mushroom that you didn't you discover a mushroom? Uh, yeah. That is so cool. Can you tell me about that and what it is and what it looks like and, and yes. what 
discovering a mushroom means and <laughs> oh my gosh i'd love to talk about it yeah so gosh where to start so this mushroom is called protubera cerebrum so protubera is the genus and the genus has indeed existed all over the world there are protubera mushrooms usually in some tropical areas and mostly in new zealand some maybe i think there's a couple types down in florida and in warm wet places but never had there been a genus of protubera found in the Pacific Northwest. And, and the cerebrum, this particular species, is, is its own. And that is the name that I gave it. Because cerebrum is Latin for brain and it looks like a brain. It is not your typical cap and stock brown boring mushroom. This thing is so weird and gnarly and kind of gross. Yeah. I remember so I the pictures. <laughs> Kind of growth. Yes. So I started finding them, you know, out in our back forest and they look like a chicken egg, maybe a smaller, a little bit asymmetrical chicken egg. And you pick them up and they're squishy. So then you cut into it. And when you cut it in half, it looks like you have a gray brain that you've just cut in half surrounded by clear gel. And it has a strong odor of I would say a mixture of mushroom and cleaning product. Interesting. Yes. Gosh, that's and cool. so I, I posted it in a mushroom group because I couldn't find anything in my books. Mm -hmm. My books are mostly regional. And so with no protuberas in the Pacific Northwest, there was nothing to be found. And I posted it in a Pacific Northwest mushroom identification Facebook group, which is where all the mushroom dorks hang out. <laughs> and and people they didn't know what to make of it they didn't know what it was and then there was a couple of mycologists who were shook you know they just did not know what to think about this started kind of going down a rabbit hole and someone who works for the puget sound mycological society asked me to send a dehydrated sample and then they did dna sequencing on it cool. and yeah weren't able to match it to anything else that had ever been found and it, you know, as far as everyone, anyone can tell, it definitely is in the protubera genus. And when you look up other protubera mushrooms around the world, it looks very similar. So, so cool. <laughs> it is so cool. And I love that it's not just a boring mushroom. If it was a boring looking mushroom, I never would have known. But because it's yeah. a weird little guy, I was able to, you know, kind of go down a rabbit hole. So we actually have a lot of them in our property. I keep finding them. Yes, that is so and I've also recently given a sample to the Burke Museum okay. in Seattle here to add to their their database of species. We'll have to post a picture of the mushroom on its <laughs> yeah. uh, website. I'm happy to share them. Yeah, I've got all kinds of pictures of them. And yeah, they're goopy and squishy and fun. Mm -hmm. So... What do you suggest for folks who are interested in getting into mushrooms? Like, what are the first steps? What do you, what would you say to somebody who's like, I'm really interested both for, you know, culinary mushrooms, but just generally speaking? Just generally speaking. Yeah, I would say it's really, it's important to know the different aspects of mushrooms. It gives you a roadmap to getting an identification. Mm -hmm. So I actually created a mushroom ID kit that Wilderness Awareness School sells it in their bookstore. I can plug it. Yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of things that you need to look for in a mushroom in order to get a positive identification. Mm -hmm. So whether it has pores or whether it has gills is really important. Whether the gills of a mushroom are attached to the stalk or they're detached from the stalk, whether the spores of a mushroom are white or brown or any other color. Taking a spore print, which is a whole other thing, is another really important way to identify mushrooms. 
some of these aspects can literally be life or death. They can be the difference between a delicious meal and death on rare occasions. Well, that's like the chanterelle has a poisonous lookalike, right? And that they do. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have any deadly lookalikes, but it has some lookalikes that will make you sick. And and that's the case with most toxic mushrooms. They'll, they'll cause gastrointestinal distress. <laughs> so learning the different aspects, chanterelle is a great example from its lookalike. Chanterelles are pure white in the stock. So if you go and peel off part of the chanterelle, like string cheese, it should peel like string cheese and it should be pure white inside. Yeah. It also does not have true gills that are completely um, linear and parallel to each other. Like most mushroom gills, it has more of what we call forks or veins. Yeah, there are definitely some things to learn about chanterelles and any other mushrooms that you want to eat. Mm-hmm. And learning those aspects, those the morphology of the different traits, what they're growing on is another hugely important one. Yeah. Is it growing from the ground or is it growing from dead wood? Mm-hmm. That's super important also yeah. in identification. So starting to get familiar with those traits of mushrooms would be, yeah. I would say, the best place to start. And mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to learn to be able to identify a mushroom in any guidebook without understanding those traits. Are there any resources you'd recommend for folks? We've got your mushroom, your mushroom identification kit that folks mm-hmm. can get from Wilderness Awareness School and anything else that you'd recommend? Yeah, regional field guides. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Regional field guides. Here in the Pacific Northwest, anybody with any interest in mushrooms usually knows All the Rain Promises and More. Yeah. The title of a book with a guy in a tuxedo and a trumpet on the cover. You have it there. Yes. It's so so funny because it looks like it almost was printed at home at first because of the quality of the photo. But it's like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That that book just embodies mushroom dork so much. Um, I actually know somebody who's been recreating all of the images in that book. Um, Oh, gosh, I love that. And the guy on the cover with the tuxedo and the trumpet, I guess he was in a band playing for a wedding. And then he saw chanterelles and had to go get them right then to there. (laughs) That makes more sense to me. I know, I know. Photo, that's great. Yeah, yeah. He's not in the best foraging attire, but anyways, that's a really good, accessible field guide for anyone in the Pacific Northwest. But regional field guides is so important. I started out with an Audubon mushroom guide to North America, and I didn't even realize I was driving myself crazy when you know a good amount of those mushrooms were only on the East Coast. It's like, just just cut all those out of the equation and just go for one that's in your area. And then there's a lot that are dichotomous keys, mm-hmm. which basically means it's kind of like a choose your own adventure. So you can start and some of them, you'll take a spore print first and it'll say, okay, if your mushroom is leaving brown spores, then jump to page 87. Now, does it have gills or pores? Then jump to page, you know. So those mushroom guides are really helpful because I think so many of us start off by just looking for pictures that look like our mushroom, right? Uh, Pictures alone will very often not tell you. Yeah. And then when it comes to like what color the spores are and what it smells like, like a picture is actually not going to be that helpful. So dichotomous keys and understanding the traits are really important. I think that if you start there and then you finish off with a Facebook group, Mm -hmm. a regional mushroom identification Facebook group, that's a really good way to feel like you have a safe identification on your mushroom. Don't just go off of, you know, one of those alone. Definitely Mm -hmm. try to have two or even better three ways of confirming Mm -hmm. your mushroom before you you eat it, 
specifically, that's one thing I love about fiber dyeing with mushrooms is it's not ever going to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) Dyeing yarn with a mushroom, if it's toxic, it's not going to kill me. So it's fine. With eating mushrooms, you obviously want to be a lot more careful. Mm -hmm. Well, is there anything else you want to share with folks before we sign off? Oh, just keep your eye on funky things that you see when you're walking in the woods. You know, some of my favorite mushrooms are just really weird, weird little guys. Some here that are look like little pink, pink balls and you poke them and pink slime goes shooting out of them. Those are called wolf's milk slime. And they are so fun with kids. When you find them with kids, it is a great time. There's a whole category of mushrooms called gastroids. Mm -hmm. which means that the spores don't just fall nicely down from them. They need to be expelled from their body somehow. And one of those is puffball mushrooms, which people might be aware of. Those are super fun. And the Latin name for those is lycoperidon, which sounds like I'm giving you a really boring fact right now. But really what that translates to is wolf fart. (laughs) Oh my God, um, that's awesome. Yeah, maybe I'll just leave you with that. With that, yeah, with of information. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was really fun, and I loved like learning more about this side of you. You know, since I've talked to you a lot about about wilderness awareness school, it's really cool to do a deep dive into mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, that's I. That's just high level, right? The deep dive would be a much longer conversation. I don't even know if I've gotten to the deep dive yet. But yeah, it's deep dive for me for <laughs> for for a newbie. <laughs> yeah, I hope it can pique some curiosity. And um, yeah, there's so many different avenues that people can go down with mushrooms. So just staying curious, which is something we talk about at Wilderness Awareness School as well. Just staying curious and really being observant. That will that will be the best way to get started for sure. That's awesome. Well, and you're already making me inspired to just take a journal of keep a journal of the nature near me. I think that those of us who live in cities think that there isn't really it's not going to be the same thing as mm-hmm. you living out in the woods, but it's there. And it's there. It's and, there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You are welcome, Elizabeth. It was great to see you again. Yeah, and It was so- really fun getting to talk about mushrooms. And before I let you go, I forgot to ask Leah to share how you can find her. You can learn all about the organization that she works for, Wilderness Awareness School at wildernessawarenessschool.org. And you can follow Leah and her mushrooming journey on Instagram at Northwest Wildcrafting. Thank you so much for listening to Cramming for the Apocalypse. You can support the show by following and reviewing us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to help people find us. Please also subscribe to our newsletter at crammingfortheapocalypse.substack.com. I also encourage you to subscribe to the paid option. Not only does that help the show, this is a one-woman production right now, but you will also be a part of a community of people working for climate action and community preparedness where you will receive tools, resources, and of course, a sense of community around climate action and preparedness. Thanks for listening to the show. See you next time and happy prepping.